Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. I don't think it necessarily follows that because they came before us, they are less advanced. I know that is one popular theory is that evolution was tinkering with the human DNA by the gods, by the extraterrestrials, whatever, to finally get it right. But these may have all been valid, a marvelous species in themselves that became extinct for whatever reason, but it doesn't diminish who they were and what they were capable of. Reduce stress and enhance your immune system. ESS-60 from C60 Evo. C60 is the carbon-60 molecule known to deliver more than 172 times the power of vitamin C, 172 times. ESS-60 is the purest form of C60, a known antiviral, antibacterial, and anti-inflammatory remedy that works. ESS-60 neutralizes free radicals from cell metabolization and external toxins to help minimize inflammation and maximize detoxification. Further, people report better sleep, more energy, and renewed mental clarity when they take our ESS-60 organic oil. To order your Miracle Molecule ESS-60, click on the C60 Evo link in the episode notes for this podcast, or go to c60evo.com slash richard hyphen serrett. C- c60evo.com slash richard hyphen serrett buy now and save 10 percent by using the coupon code evrs at checkout again use the coupon code evrs at checkout conspiracy unlimited with richard serrett pursuing the truth wherever it leads exposing evil and corruption the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Dr. Mark Carlotto is with us, aerospace engineer with over 30 years of experience in satellite imaging, remote sensing, image processing, pattern recognition. Mark contributed extensively to the uh, investigation of the face and other structures in the Sidonia region of Mars, analyzed anomalous objects in STS-48 and STS-80 space shuttle videos, and participated in a recent study of unusual surface features on the far side of the moon. In his latest book, before Atlantis, new evidence suggesting the existence of previous technological civilizations on Earth. He delves into some of the basic questions concerning human origins, ancient technology, and archaeological enigmas. Before we delve into some more specifics, let me just get kind of a, an overall sense of how your work is being perceived, let's say, by orthodox archaeologists and, and uh, anthropologists and so forth. Because my sense is they don't like things that don't fit their narrative. They don't. If it doesn't fit their timeline, they don't want to know about it. 
Well, previously, uh, I, I challenged the, um, the uh, orthodoxy by uh, submitting papers um, to scientific journals. When I was uh, researching the face on Mars in the 80s and 90s, I uh, published a number of papers, but the uh, publication process was long, and uh, it uh, had many, uh, many uh, uh, hairpin turns and false starts. Uh, some journals were simply unwilling to uh, accept uh, or even consider uh, what I was proposing for publication. Um, and uh, it was only after several years that I then went on to write a couple of books about Mars, the Martian Enigmas and the Cydonia Controversy. What, I, what I've done here is I've done things a little differently. I, I decided I put the book out first. Um, at the time, there was just so much information, I didn't know how to condense it into a paper. Uh, and so I figured I would get it all out. And so that's what I've done. And the popular uh, response has been good. Um, but um, I, I uh, honestly, um, I'm not sure if either the scientific establishment hasn't uh, heard of it or is simply ignoring it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I have a paper uh, that'll be presented at a conference in April and um, planning uh, uh, a journal paper hopefully in the next year or so. And that'll certainly, I'm sure, get some, some uh, reaction from the mainstream. Uh, so, so far, uh, it's been pretty quiet. Um, but I expect it's not going to last for long. But but we're not likely to see this in a peer-reviewed journal anytime soon. I'm guessing. Uh, no, uh, probably not. Um, the you know approaching this as a as a in a, in a sort of in a scientific way is is, is a little tricky because um, you know my my uh, my observations here my hypotheses are predicated on on a on an unproven theory, that is Hapgood's pole shift theory or mm-hmm. hypothesis, and so that's that's where it gets tricky. So that's so so I kind of know the answer. I kind of know that that's that's what a journal will say. So you know, you get to a point in life, it's like I'm not going to waste my time. So what I'm doing instead is trying to accumulate a lot of evidence, and it's circumstantial evidence. But like I said, seventy so far, seventy sites um, are aligned now to four locations of the pole. So I hope to prevent, or I hope to present, uh, an argument more in the form of a paradox and an answer to that, uh, or uh, a hypothetical answer that uh, that doesn't, you know, really challenge any current theories. But it's sort of like a what if. What if Hapgood's theory is correct? Then something like this would follow naturally. Uh, if it's not correct, then how can so many sites be aligned in this way? Um, something, you know, it's it's it's, it's a paradox, and and that's how I kind of see it um, evolving over the next over the next year or so. We'll see how how it goes, but that's kind of how I see it right now. But but the 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 takeaway from all of this is that uh, you know. We've had technologically advanced, sophisticated human civilizations uh, on this planet, perhaps for, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of years. Now, aside from the obvious shock value and the fact that it doesn't fit 
uh, with everything that we've been told and everything that's in the textbook. What what else is at stake here? Why would that threaten um, threaten academia? Um, I, I don't know. There's 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 a psychology involved here. I'm not a psychologist. I'm an engineer, but it seems like academia and any you know any establishment they they always try to frame reality right so for academics in archaeology framing you know the archaeological uh you know uh timeline you know it, it used to be that you know structures like the pyramids and so forth were you know were built like 3000 BC nothing really significant was done before that it was a gradual build up and then we had these these uh, amazing structures built at that time. But, you know, 10,000 years ago, there was nothing. And then Gopekli Tepe, you know, challenged that. And so they had to push their their horizon um, back further. So, you know, what ac- academia does is they, they're conservative. They try to keep things as con- confined, as limited as possible. And uh, so the onus is on the those that are, you know, challenging the paradigm to come up with, you know, overwhelming proof, which is often difficult to do because, you know, um, especially something complicated like this where there's a lot of different pieces and it's highly interdisciplinary. You know, I'm not an earth scientist um, and I'm approaching this from the point of view of uh, geometry and, and uh, geography. Um, but, you know, it's it, I think there's a lot of pieces and a lot of things have to get worked out. So, um it's really not a top-down approach. It's it's very kind of, you know, it's almost tactical at this point. So, you know, I've, I've kind of laid out the basic ideas, and uh, you know, I know they're they they totally challenge, and they, you know, uh, and I know I mean no you know no disrespect to to the mainstream, but uh, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm pursuing these ideas really independent of existing constraints. I'm just looking to see where the data takes me. And if that doesn't lead back There's to the no- ancient alien hypothesis, then so be it. I mean, you you mentioned that earlier. Uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, this kind of um, investigation will get you taken off the Christmas card list of a lot of people who subscribe to ancient alien theory. Oh, sure. And, you know, you know, I've, I, yeah, I have some, I have some critics. I, I I've been involved um, in between the Mars investigation and uh, and before Atlantis. I spent about 15 years uh, here uh, in uh, north of Boston in uh, Cape Ann, um, getting into local history and archaeology, and been involved in a couple of projects. And you know, uh, the people I I know and have worked with, uh, I think they kind of look at this, you know, like you know, what are you doing? Um, you know, this, this makes, makes no sense at all. Um, but you know, that, that's fine because, you know, it's, it's really an exploration and, and, and I feel like, you know, you said you just have to see where the data takes you, where the facts take you. And, um, so that, that's really what I'm doing right now. I'm having a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know, people are suggesting sites, you know, take a look at this. Um, and, uh, and it's very much a, um, it's kind of a shotgun approach to see what can I find across the planet over time that fits this hypothesis. And then at some point it'll be necessary to kind of take a step back and say, okay, now 
where, where do we go with this? Um, you know, I mean, I have some suggestions now. I mean, we, some of these sites, we you know, it might be interesting to do some really deep excavations. Let's mm-hmm. see what's under some of these sites. Right. right. Um, but um, L- let me uh, let yep. me ask you about before we get into um, uh, some more specifics about uh, the Lion Rock and and the constellation Leo and so forth. I, I want to go back to uh, the Temple Mount because I didn't ask you about that specifically. Uh, which pole shift is the Temple Mount aligned to? So, okay, the Temple Mount is complicated. Let me, let me get my book out here. So um, the Temple Mount, it's, well, specifically the western wall in Jerusalem mm-hmm. is aligned to the Greenland pole. So so we talked about the uh, Hudson Bay pole, and we talked about the Bering Sea pole. Well, the one just before the uh, Hudson Bay Pole was the Greenland Pole, and then there was the Norway Pole, and then the Bering Sea Pole. So the Greenland Pole is like, you know, 50,000, 60,000 years ago, something like that. And the Western Wall is aligned to the, Green, to the Greenland Pole. What's interesting is um, the, uh, a, a, a structure in, in Petra. Uh, Petra is the... Uh, is a, is, a, is a place in, in Jordan. Mm-hmm. It contains that that iconic site. You know, we've all seen it. It's in the in the Indiana Jones movie. It's the you know, it's that temple that's sort of half built, half carved out of rock. Right, right. Um, and there's a site uh, in the same general vicinity. It's called the uh, Temple of of the um, of the Winged Lion. <coughs> excuse of of the Winged Lions. And um, so it makes reference to lions and. Yeah, as an aside, a number of these other sites aligned to the um, to the uh, Bering Sea Pole also make reference to lions. So Petra, so Temple Mount is aligned to the Greenland Pole. Petra is aligned to the Bering Sea Pole. Um, the uh, the Western Wall, I should say, is aligned to the Greenland Pole, and Petra is aligned to the uh, to the to the Bering Sea Pole. Right. Temple Mount itself is a mosque that is aligned. It points towards Petra. Now, we all know that mosques nowadays point towards Mecca. Right, right. But there's evidence that before um, before the, the founding of Islam, that uh, pre-Islamic um, uh, religions and cultures uh, were referenced to Petra. So they didn't... So mosques and uh, so 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 the direction towards Mecca was not the sacred direction. Right, right. It was the direction towards Petra. So the Temple Mount in Jerusalem points towards Petra, and the Western Wall that's to the west of the Temple Mount points, right. points towards the towards the Greenland Pole. And actually, the east wall of the um, the walled city of of Jerusalem is also aligned to Petra. That would indicate that the eastern wall is older. Ah, fascinating. So the eastern wall and the Temple Mount would would have been uh, in place uh, first, followed later by the western wall. It, okay. It, according to this chronology. Right, right. And the western wall, the remnant of the the second temple, destroyed around AD seventy. Uh, but the idea here is that it, it's building on uh, an ancient footprint that had been aligned to that Greenland pole. Uh, tens of thousands of years prior. So someone was building yeah. there before. Um, yeah. Now, in addition to the the pole shift hypothesis, 
uh, it seems to me that we have, you know, a lot of ancient sites that are aligned to, um, that have some celestial significance. Uh, so, I mean, is that separate from the pole shift theory or is it tied into it? So, for example, if you have, uh, um, some sort of a fortress and it's, it's aligned to, um, you know, one of the, one of the, the, the constellations and it, and it bears the name of that constellation. Uh, d- is, is that a separate theory or is it somehow tied into the pole shift theory? Um, so, so what, what, what I've looked at are, uh, lunar and solar alignments that can be referenced to previous poles. So, you know, like today we can have sites that are aligned to the cardinal directions, but also aligned to the summer or winter solstice, sunrise, sunset, as well as what are called lunar standstills. Lunar standstills are uh, motions of the moon, sort of like solstices, and um, knowledge of of standstills apparently is is embedded in the design of of Stonehenge 3. According to you know uh, uh, research that um, that uh, Gerald Hawkins did uh, a number of years ago, um, so I haven't actually looked at at, at stellar alignments. Uh, this is almost a whole other thing. Uh, th- this includes like the alignment or the the, the Giza Orion correlation theory of uh, Robert Baval. Uh, Graham Hancock and John Griggs- Grigsby have a hypo- similar hypothesis that Angkor Wat and temples in um, Thailand are aligned to constellation uh, Draco. Uh, these are both, you know, uh, circa uh, 10,500 BC. So I'm not really talking about those. I'm, I'm so far, okay. Uh, I'm just really talking about pole, sh- pole shifts north, south, east, west, as well as solstices and lunar. Events, so not you know stellar events like you're like you're asking. Well, the reason I bring it up is I'm I'm, re- I'm talking about um, the Lion Rock in in Sri Lanka, right? And right, and okay. the constellation yeah. Leo. So you know the lion, it's called the lion. Why was it called the lion? Is it relating to uh, the constellation Leo? That would make sense, right. except that it's not oriented towards Leo. But if then you factor in the precession. Of the the equinoxes, you know, the constellations move, the, the cycles, what yeah. are they, twenty six thousand years? Then at, right. at yeah. some point, the Lion Rock, which was supposedly built in six hundred BC, at some point it was aligned to Leo, and if it was aligned to Leo, that makes it much much older. The last time uh, that constellation sort of swung by and it was oriented would have been, you know, what what tens of thousands of years prior to that. Or thousands of years right, prior okay. to that. Yeah. So okay. So I, I, I guess what I sort of said was was not entirely true. Uh, what what we we can talk about here, and, and and actually the subject of this particular posting, is the alignment of this uh, of this line rock in uh, in a place in uh, Sri Lanka called uh, Sigiriya, that um, is again one of these alignments that is hard to understand. It was uh, the, the uh, initial uh, attempt, um, and I think the explanation for the alignment, which is um, which is a few only a few degrees off of east west, um, is that on those days that the sun rose uh, in those particular directions, 
at noon, the sun would be directly overhead and would cast no shadow. And this, this, you know, had some obvious, you know, visual, if not ceremonial or religious significance. Um, so, you know, this happens every year and you can't really use it to date the site. Now, when it comes to constellations, it's, it's usually like, and, and, you know, talking, um, I mentioned earlier the, uh, 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 the Orion Giza, uh, correlation theory, uh, Robert Baval. And that, that theory is that on the, um, on sunrise, uh, on the equinox, on the, um, spring equinox, uh, 10,500 BC, uh, or so, that era, um, the sun rose in the constellation Leo. So in other words, when the sun was coming up, it was in the, you know, against the backdrop of the constellation Leo. And that, of course, references the Sphinx. And then the pattern of the stars in Orion at their position at that time would have matched those of the pyramids. So the similar thing going on here is that uh, thought is that, well, this is a line rock, you know, and it references Leo. When did that, when did that correlation happen? When did that line up? It turns out that because of this particular alignment, there are two dates. One is September 1st and there I think is uh, April 11th when the sun rises in this, in this particular direction. And uh, it states around the equinox. And it turns out that uh, the sun currently rises in, Le- in Leo on one of those dates now. So we know, you know, it wasn't just built. So, okay, when was the last time? If we go back to when they think it was built, which is about, um, I have to scroll down and look. I think it was 600 BC. Here. 600 BC, I think. 600 BC. Yeah, okay. Let's go with that. Six, yeah, sixth century. See, yeah, it was like five something. Okay. Um, that, um, at that time, and you can figure this out by procession, if the sun is rising currently in Leo now, then it rose in Virgo. So, you know, why would a rock that's called the lion rock that actually had a giant lion as part of the, um, the entryway that's no longer uh, present. It's just the claws of this lion are all that's left, but it's cl- site clearly references a lion. Why would it be aligned to Virgo? It doesn't make any sense. Right. So you go back and when was the last time then that Leo rose on that particular day? And it turns out that it was, um, 8800 BC. Right. And five astrological so, signs ago. Five astrological signs yeah. ago. So five From, times. So we're currently in Pisces. That's right. So we're Pisces, Aries is one, Taurus is two, Gemini three, Cancer four, Leo five. And that five times 2160 is, is 1080 or about 8800 BC. And that's the, that's the, the so, minimum. I mean, it could be on, you know, orders of that. Uh, it could be multiples of that. That's absolutely. Right. Okay. We've got to take a time out. We'll come back. Mark Carlotto, before Atlantis. Start feeling rejuvenated right now. Order your one-month supply of Super Tea and GI Joy today from GetTheTea.com. This Super Tea is specifically formulated to cleanse your kidneys, liver, colon, and blood all at once. And of course, the colon is one of the most ignored organs in the human body. The faster that waste is eliminated from the body, the less time that waste sits in our intestines, spreading toxins to our bloodstream. Life Change Tea is not the same tea that you buy in the store off the shelf. Life Change Tea is eight powerful herbs blended together to maximize your health. 
You also get 60 capsules of the GI Joy, which contains colostrum, which helps to assist in maintaining a healthy digestive tract. It also helps maintain a healthy immune system. Super Tea and GI Joy from Get The Tea for a healthy digestion and a healthy immune system. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. Consult your healthcare professional before using this product. If you're pregnant or breastfeeding, do not use without consulting a healthcare professional. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again, what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. It's complicated. There's some math here. But if I can follow it, I think anybody can. The point is, uh, if these ancient sites are aligned to either... Uh, some celestial event or a pole, uh, and poles have shifted. We have the, you know, constellations shift. That's a way of dating these things. And it turns out that if this hypothesis is correct, these things are much, much, much older, uh, than, than previously thought. And, uh, that's going to send shockwaves through, uh, academia. Um, before we'll get back into some more specifics, but I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, the idea of, we mentioned ancient aliens, and 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 there are legends that people thought that you know they viewed um, something or someone as 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 being almost like a god, and this was has given rise to the ancient alien theory. You know, these these beings that had such tremendous technological um, advantages. Uh, so is it possible that there were remnants of one of these civilizations that survived a cataclysmic event and they, uh, interacted with sort of the, uh, the more primitive civilization and then they were, in fact, likened unto gods? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. Um, so in the book, at the end of the book, I show the distribution of of sites, um, both over the globe in space and in time. And it's clear that these sites existed worldwide. It wasn't just in a place called Atlantis, wherever that was. Uh, and it wasn't just, you know, 10,000 years ago, but it was over an extended period of time, perhaps 100, 100 uh, plus thousand years. And in both the old and the new world, in, in, in South America, in Central America, in Europe, in the Middle East, in Northern Africa, in India, uh, in, uh, in Northern Asia. Um, and, and so you have this, this pattern that um, suggests that there was a civilization that was well, you know, well in place and, 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 and it existed over a long period of time judging from the remnants of, you know, what they left behind these, these structures. Uh, and that, and that's, that's the key evidence that these are sophisticated structures that suggest the civilization was sophisticated and it existed over a long period of time. It was, you know, worldwide. So, so this was in place. And then this migration out of the heart of Africa occurs and they run into these people uh, and they, you know, they, they, people, you know, same species, but, 
you know, well, well in advance technologically. So what was their reaction? And I think viewing them as gods, um, you know, is not uh, unlikely. Um, you know, it's another explanation. It's an alter, you know, like I said earlier, it's an alternative to the ancient astronaut um, explanation. Uh, and, so, you know, maybe the answer is, is a combination of the two. I don't know. But, you know, clearly our myths and legends had to have some origin. You know, we didn't just make them up. Uh, I don't believe they're the result of some, you know, you know, hallucinogenic or religious experience. You know, they, they, you know, it's likely they're based in fact in some experience or experiences. And this is a plausible, you know, uh, scenario. Um, they basically two, two, uh, waves of humans, you know, bumping up against each other, you know, one wave, uh, you know, a hundred thousand years more advanced than the other. So it's not, you know, it's not, um, it's not implausible. And the fact that it happened worldwide, you know, is sort of the whole idea of, you know, why, why do I call this before Atlantis? You know, sort of like Atlantis has become kind of like the key. If you can find Atlantis, then, you know, it solves all your problems. Right. And that's where it all started. That was, that was the advanced civilization and everything grew out from there. Yeah, but you know, we, we may, we may never find it, you know, uh, you know, perhaps it wasn't a, a single place, uh, or a single time, uh, um, and, uh, so rather than sort of get, you know, hung up on trying to interpret Plato or Edgar Casey or, you know, other, other sources, primary, secondary, and so forth, I thought, well, let's, let me see if I can just go back to something even more basic which is archaeology, structures, geometry, and geography, and see what you can make of it. And so this is why it's, it's, it's a new approach. It's a new, you know, new answers, uh, old questions. Uh, and hopefully uh, it'll, you know, lead to some new, uh, some new ideas, some new thinking, and, and hopefully some new discoveries. Well, we were talking about uh, an advanced civilization um, you know, coming in contact with a more primitive civilization, and I'm I'm thinking about you know the Denisovans, and if I remember correctly, I mean they were they were they were practically giants. I mean, and they 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 made musical instruments, and as you say, they they made fine jewelry. You know, imagine you know some squat uh, human who lives down by the river in a you know in a mud hut, coming in contact with a Denisovan. That's seven and a half feet tall, uh, you know, wearing fine jewelry and and I don't know, playing a wind instrument. I mean, I would liken that person unto a god as well. Yeah, and you know, a lot of the a lot of the ancient myths, uh, the ages of man, Hesiod, the ages of man talks about, you know, the 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 the, the earliest age, the golden age of of gods and and of giants. Um, you know, the, the ancient people are all sort of viewed as giants. They talked about in the Bible as being giants and, um, references in, in South American, uh, Indian, um, Native American, uh, literature to, uh, in oral history to, to, uh, to, uh, ancient beings that, that were, you know, said to be giants. So, I mean, they, they could have been Denisovans. Yeah, it's, it's possible because you see the size of, of, you know, the, the, the teeth that they've extracted and the size of the skull. They, these were huge creatures, and it's. I don't think it necessarily follows that because they came before us, they are less advanced. I know that is one. You know, one popular theory is that, you know, evolution was tinkering 
uh, with the you know human DNA by the gods, by the extraterrestrials, whatever, to finally get it right. But you know these these may have all been valid, um, a marvelous uh, species in themselves um, that became extinct for, for you know for whatever reason. But it doesn't diminish uh, you know who they were and what they were capable of. I mean, because we don't know, right? There's no way of knowing. Well, we have these, you know, the Vedic uh, uh, myths of civilizations with flying machines and and possibly ancient, you know, nuclear wars and so forth. I mean, obviously we're we're far flung into the field of speculation here, but I mean, how advanced do you think they might have been? Let's let's talk about the Denisovans since we're using them as an example. I mean, you mentioned you know they had a they, they had the ability to drill fine holes for their jewelry and so forth. But I mean, how what is the the potential here in terms of their technological uh, acumen? Well, you know, if, it would be interesting if we found some artifacts on the moon or on Mars that are uh, that are man made uh, uh, or you know. Uh, not natural, let's say, uh, you know, one possible explanation is that, you know, they came from Earth. They weren't necessarily extraterrestrial, but they came from a previous, um, you know, a previous um, civilization on the planet. Um, yeah, I think all, all that is with, within the realm of possibility. Um, I, see, personally, it's not so much the, for me, it's not the level of technology I just want to know how far back it goes because, you know, you mentioned the Vedic uh, literature and, you know, the Vedas talk about these yugas that are, you know, thousands, millions of years old. And, you know, clearly modern man feels totally disconnected from that. But, you know, I, I believe, you know, whether it's uh, spiritual or, or physical or astral, everything is part of one big equation and it all has to add up. So, you know, there was probably, you know, there had to have been some reality. And if these scriptures are that old, they allude to, to yugas that are thousands, many, many, many thousands of years old. But we only go back 10,000 years, then there's a, there's a disconnect. But if we can show that there's a connection, some might say, well, you're trying, you know, you have an agenda here. I just want to explore that possibility. Can we close that gap? Can we push back the horizon of civilization which includes not just technology, but also religion and higher callings and, and interests and beliefs and, and so forth. One of your recent blog posts has to do with a location, an ancient site in Gloucester, Massachusetts, which is, I'm guessing, not too far from you in, in you're north of Boston. Uh, I'm not sure where, right. where Gloucester is in, in relation to that. But tell me, what did you discover there? So this is kind of where I've been hanging out between the Mars investigation and, and before Atlantis. I, I, I mentioned earlier, I, I kind of, um, uh, I sort of burned out on, on uh, looking at, at planetary imagery and craters and uh, eroded mesas on the surface of Mars. And uh, I moved here to Gloucester and um, uh, got some hiking boots and did a lot of exploring. And um, I actually wrote three books here uh Related to um, uh, uh, places of interest uh, on the North Shore, uh, uh, which includes Gloucester, and um, one of those places is called Poles Hill, which uh, a friend of mine, uh, who's an anthropologist, uh, told me about a number of years ago. Uh, she's an expert on Native American Indians, uh, Native American 
and the native people that uh, are uh, specifically the New England uh, Native American people. And um, she uh, she had some knowledge that there was a site here that might have been a, a Native American ceremonial site with alignments to the seasons and the sun and so forth. And so she had a few pictures and um, I actually hadn't done this for a while. This was, was like I learned about alignments and solstices, not in aligning things on earth, but on actually aligning Martian landforms, which is kind of crazy. So, so finally I had a chance to apply it to, you know, what it was intended for, I guess, in the first place, which was uh, sites on earth, you know, places like, you know, Stonehenge and, things like that we're, we're all familiar with and um and this, anyway, this uh, site is covered by rocks that were sort of dumped there by the re the receding ice from the last ice age right yeah yeah so it's, it's kind of connected with uh you know before atlantis that talks about pole shifts with you know that were inferred based on ice ages and you know remnants of the last ice age are all over gloucester uh it's a terminal terminal it's called the terminal moraine where all the uh all the boulders, uh, they say all the boulders not used in the rest of the world were dumped here. <laughs> um, and, you know, so you have this landscape on this place. It's a plateau overlooking uh, a tidal estuary. And um, it's just covered with these uh, with these boulders, some small, some quite large, these, these erratics. And uh, so when I first went up there to see if I could find an alignment, it's like alignment of what? Everything is, is like, you know, hundreds, thousands of these boulders, what, you know, it, you know, how can you possibly make any sense of this? But to make a long story short, um, we just, uh, through, you know, working both with Google Earth and doing a lot of hiking and a lot of investigation on the ground. And that's kind of what, you know, that's why this was a valuable experience for me, because previously uh, and now, you know, a lot of this is happening on a computer. It's all, you know, aerial archaeology. Right. Right. And so you're not I'm, I'm not. I didn't go, you know, I'm just working on some alignments related to the Markawazi Plateau in, in uh, Peru. I haven't been there, and it's not likely I'm going to get there anytime soon. Um, yeah, you need, you to, you need to look from above to look, because you're, one of your areas or your skills is pattern recognition. So you need to look from above to yeah. get a, the bird's eye view. And that's where it's at, but but you also have to have experience on the ground. And so... You know, my, my time here in Gloucester has been very, has been very grounding, you know, no, no, no pun intended, or I should actually pun intended that, um, so I have an appreciation for, you know, actually investigating and finding, you know, uh, the structures on the ground and, and photographing them and, and measuring them and, and, and having that sort of hands on. So it's not just on a computer. So, you know, Poles Hill was kind of a combination of, of Google Earth, you know, aerial archaeology, because the site is exposed and you can see all the boulders. But it was also a lot of hiking around. And um, so what what I was able to determine was that there were three large stones, in retrospect, quite obvious stones that are aligned. The one stone is a central siding stone, and then two others are winter solstice, sunrise, and sunset markers. How many rocks were they aligned to the sunset or the sunrise? You know, I, I, I it, it's just, well, uh, initially just these, these two rocks. So there was a summer sunrise and a summer sunset, uh, solstice sunrise and sunset marker relative to a sort of a central siding stone. And then later I found a winter alignment. Um, and then after that, I actually found some alignments to constellations that, you know, uh, we had talked about earlier. 
um, uh, how, how, how that works. Um, so it was actually over, over a number of years that I discovered a number of, of, of interesting, um, alignments. Uh, but the, the amazing thing about this site is that, um, it was all done with the available materials and, um, you know, there's a, there's a probability. Someone says, well, how do you know that these stones were just randomly scattered in this pattern? And there's a right, probability. Right. Yeah, because they, they, they don't call them, they don't call them erratics for, uh, for, for no reason. <laughs> right. And there's a probability that these stones align in this particular pattern. Um, but, you know, I, I, you can determine that probability and for all these alignments and it turned out to be, you know, you know, one in, in a billion or something like that. It was a pretty small number. Um, but what's amazing is that, let, I mean, let us assume that this, this is actually a, uh, a, uh, ceremonial site. There's no reason to believe that it wasn't because there's evidence that, uh, the, uh, the native people actually uh, came here to Gloucester in the summer to hunt and fish. So they would have uh, perhaps wanted to mark these, these dates, uh, with some kind of a solar calendar. Uh, so it's not, you know, implausible. Um, and if they did want to do that, what would they have used? Well, they would have used the available materials, these erratic boulders, and they would have moved them around. So with just moving two of these three boulders around, they could have achieved these alignments with relatively little effort and with, you know, practically no technology. And so for me, this was like, it was like, wow, you know, man really probably hasn't really changed intrinsically at all. I mean, our, you know, these, the people that, that did this, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago were just as intelligent as we were, uh, that we are now. They just had different technology and they expressed their knowledge using that technology. Here it's just, you know, it's a bunch of, of crudely shaped erratics. You know, those that built Stonehenge used, uh, stones that were, uh, shaped, uh, more than these, but still not you know, not the precisely engineered stones that you find at, um, you know, Machu Picchu or, right, right. Um, or Pumbu Pinku or Tiwanaku, places like that. And so, um, but, but it doesn't mean they weren't any less intelligent. They still had the intelligence and they had the knowledge. It's just that they expressed it in a different way. And that was for me kind of a, kind of a revelation. Um, and I took, I've kind of taken that now. I think it's part of sort of my perspective now, now that I, you know, have in, in a sense left, not left Gloucester because I'm still here, but, you know, as I'm exploring uh, the world using Google Earth, I have that appreciation now that, you know, what to look for. We don't want to necessarily color it with Western technology. We want to be a little bit more, you know, open to the unexpected. You know, let's look at patterns and numbers more intrinsically and not, you know, attach a lot of expectations to them. And that's kind of, you know, where the whole pole shift thing went and where it's going. And, you know, um, just like, you know, like we said earlier, uh, we'll have to see where, where it leads. But the, it's, it's leading to some interesting places so far. Right. Um, now, the, the, uh, the sunrise rocks or the sunset rocks, were they, aside from their alignment, were they dis- – could you distinguish them in any other way? Did they pick, for, for example – uh, a particular type of rock, maybe it was it had a certain coloration that they wanted to it to stand out. Was it um, was there anything else that stood out about these rocks, or did they? Was it just yeah, their they, orientation? No, they they do have they, they have a peculiar shape, um, 
and uh, and some of them you have to. I I, I built a little pole camera. It was sort of uh, an old, uh, like a very early selfie stick uh, back a number of years ago. That was about 15 feet long. I used a pool uh, a pole from uh, from cleaning my swimming pool, and uh, you know getting up high enough that I could kind of see these rocks in a context. Not no not satellite altitude, but something a little lower. Um, you could see that some of these were uh, had a shape that was like hmm. Kind of looks like 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 a serpent or like a snake's head, and a lot of these rocks uh, are uh, do do have that shape. Now, whether it's a projection of our minds, um, but uh, a geologist, a local geologist uh, who's actually very skeptical, uh, believes that all these rocks were altered by a process called spalling, which involves heating the rock and you know flaking it off. So it's kind of a controlled way of of shaping a rock using heat and, and cooling. Um, and so they could have, and he believes that these rocks were shaped, um, you know, by this process. Um, and so, you know, so in answer to your question, yeah, these rocks seem to have, they seem to have a serpent-like appearance to them, uh, which then led me later on to hypothesize that some of these rocks might actually be lined up with the constellation Draco. And that's, that's a, actually a paper that was published in uh, the New England Antiquities Research Journal uh, a few years ago, and that there's a reference to that online. Um, so, uh, if they yeah, were aligned to Draco, just, if they were at one yeah. time aligned to Draco, are you able then to date the site? Yeah. So the solstice alignments, I was able to date using changes in obliquity. This is how they date Stonehenge to you know thirty something, uh, or 2,500, 2,800 BC, something like that, because it doesn't line up exactly now. But if you, you know, look back in time, the sun's su- sunrise and sun- sunset position changes because our axle tilt changes, right? The obliquity of the planet, right? Which is the amount of tilt. And so it turns out that between two and 4,000 years ago, the summer alignments were, were, um, the sun rose in line with those alignments today. Um, the way that we measure them t- today, the sun doesn't line up exactly today, but back two to four thousand years ago, it did. Uh, it turns out that the constellation uh, Draco and uh, and 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 part of um, the, the adjacent constellation of Hercules, uh, which is not known to the native people, so that's why experts, some local ex- experts, kind of have frowned on this whole theory. It's like you know this. The native people, you know, knew the Great Bear, and they knew, you know, uh, they were they had their own mythology and had nothing to do with 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 Hercules. Uh, they did know Draco because the pole star back then was Thuban, which is a star in the constellation Draco. Um, but anyway, so the answer is that this lines up um, a pattern of rocks on the ground locks to that same pattern of of certain stars in the sky. In the same time frame, two to four thousand years ago, so there's a so the stellar alignment corroborates the solar alignment uh, of the site using different rocks and different formations, but it's the same site. So two different datings of the site um, give it an age of about four thousand years old. Fascinating. It's all fascinating. And you know that old saying about, uh, you know, listen to your elders. <laughs> Give us new meaning and new respect for our ancestors. Far more advanced, far more advanced than we can even imagine. Mark, this has been a delight. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. 
Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 